Joining me today, I am tremendously honored. We're going to be talking with Macro Elf, who, well, I mean, Elf, we have so many things to talk about, too. I mean, the last couple weeks have seen massive, monstrous moves. It doesn't seem like, forget soft landing, forget the disinflationary soft landing and everything else. It seems like the markets are a little bit more extreme in their views over the last couple weeks. Um, we're back to some of the inversions we haven't seen since March and April in some parts of the curve and some of the forward rate curves. Is maybe it a little bit more than just consumer prices going below target, maybe more than a mild recession? What's, what's really driving some of the uh, bigger spreads here? Yeah. So the first point I want to come across with is exactly what you said, which is people tend to think in linear terms. So they say inflation yeah. went up and now inflation is going to linearly go down, but the monetary system doesn't really work this way. So what we have done is we have printed a ton of inflationary money this time in 2020, 2021, and that is credit. That is money that you, I, the real people can spend. So that's the result of more loans, more money given to the real economy and fiscal stimulus. And we have done that in the US, in Europe, in the UK, which is this chart. And I measure that through something I call the credit impulse. So it shows how much money is getting created for the real economy. And yes, we did a lot in 2020, 2021, but we also stopped abruptly that process in 2022 and 2023. So if inflation as a result, 18 months later, so this is a leading indicator of inflation, okay? When you print real economy money, then yes, inflation will temporarily accelerate, but for inflation to remain high, you need to keep printing real economy money. And we are not doing that. We have stopped doing that for a year and a half, almost two years now. So what happens? You give it enough time, about 15 to 18 months generally, and you'll see that inflation starts going down. And now we went in the UK, which is still considered to be a sticky inflation place, we went to about 4 to 5%. And people are telling me, whoa, 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 this is where we're going to plateau, and it's a new normal, and inflation new average is 4%. And I'm like, guys... This model says that we're going to be at 2%, even in the UK, we're going to be at 2% somewhere next year and possibly below that, by the way. Yeah? So we're going to be even f flirting with 0 or 1%, and that's the UK. So if you think about Europe, which starts from a lower inflation today, there is a chance that you not only go to 2, but you actually go below 2. And so you should stop thinking of the monetary system in linear terms. There is nothing linear about this process. It's very rapid on the way up. But also, if you stop printing real economy money, not bank reserves, real economy money, if you stop the credit machine, if you stop the fiscal machine all of a sudden, then yes, you're going to get quite a convex move on the way down. Convex, not linear. So be prepared for that kind of moves. Yes, I think one of the things, uh, one of the most striking aspects of the market, right, Alf, is that markets were kind of expecting something like this outcome earlier in the year when we were talking about bank failure, Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse. And then it kind of seemed to go away. But now it's come back in a big way. And my view on that is that it didn't really go anywhere. It was just a matter of timing. As you said, it's almost inevitable. It's been baked into the cake ever since the credit impulse got turned off. There really wasn't any other way for this to go. I mean, soft landings just don't happen to begin with. And then you have the, the double aspect of these massive imbalances from the credit, from the, the uh, pandemic era uh, piled on top of this, yeah, nonlinearity. That's one of the most important concepts that most people don't get. It seems like everything is fine. 
And then it just goes off a cliff. But that's not really the case. It's not really what happens. The, the going off a cliff was coming the entire time. Yes, it is just that it takes time for the monetary system and the bond market to work its way through the real economy. And so I want to show you a chart of what the market thinks today. What I did here is I looked at market implied probabilities in options. And basically, if you look at option markets on bonds, you can get an idea of what people are thinking the probabilities are for a recession, for a soft landing, and for, um, let's say, a, a true higher for longer. So, you know, that this time is different, etc. And see what's happening. I mean, soft landing is, is the only game in town. I mean, it seems to be a done deal by now, according to some market participants. Why? because you have been waiting for a recession that didn't happen because you didn't apply long enough macro lags. And at the beginning of the year, a recession, which is the red line, was priced at a 40, 50% chance. That's what we were saying before, Jeff. That's the March situation, right? We got a scare and the market thought this was it. But then as time goes by, people actually throw in the towel and they start believing a soft landing is the only way out. Why? Recency bias. If you haven't gotten a recession until now, you'll never get one anymore. But actually, even the BIS with a very simple analysis, but the yield curve, which we're going to talk about in a second, which is a more accurate way of measuring that, the BIS actually released a paper that says, hey, if you tighten conditions in the monetary system, financial stress unfolds generally a couple of years after the tightening begins. So the Fed starts hiking rates, and two years later, generally 18 months to 24 months later, you'll see the impact of that tightening into the real economy. So the process is the Fed hikes rates, the curve inverts, credit markets get troubled, companies have a hard time, and if you keep it long enough, at some point companies are forced to fire people People that don't have a job, they spend less, and you finally fall into that vicious loop, which is a recession. But it can take as long as two years. And if you look at the yield curve, the yield curve is a great uh, predictor of a recession. And if you go back 50 years, I looked at the two to 10 year yield curve slope here in blue. And all the episode when it was invert meaningfully inverted for long enough, actually had a recession, which is the shaded orange area following that. Problem is, it doesn't happen immediately. No. Again, the process is the, yield, the central bank starts raising interest rates. The market understands that they want to tighten conditions. So the front end of the yield curve, let's say two-year yields, are basically forced to reflect what the Federal Reserve is about to do, which is they want to raise rates. The 10-year part of the curve is regulated by different dynamics. 10-year, 30-year bond investors thinking growth expectations and inflation expectations term. And they're like, well, guys, if you're going to tighten the screws and raise rates to 5%, I am going to bet that future growth and future inflation are not going to do well. And so the yield curve starts to flatten. The long end of the yield curve can only go up, but by much less than the two-year can. And so it flattens and it flattens until it inverts. And then the yield curve stays inverted. But as for a long period of time, if that keeps happening, what happens is that the real economy starts to feel the heat of this tighter credit, higher interest rates, inverted curve. And if you apply long enough macro lags, you'll see that finally it turns into a labor market recession and a proper recession. How long are these lags? Let's go back and look at history. So the track record is 100%. Each and every single one of these inversions 
has preceded the recession. How long does it take? Well, it depends. Anything between 10 months and 24 months. So, well, it, you can be a year off pretty much. And it depends on how... Yeah, the, the thing is, though, you know, that year is where everybody says, oh, it can't happen. The longer it takes is more, more, more certainty that, the, oh, it must be a soft landing because, you're, as you're saying, recency bias. If we haven't seen it yet, it, might, it must not be happening, even though, as you're saying, 100% of the time, it, 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 it always works out this way. They always say this time is different during that lagged period. And as the other important point I think we want to point out here and, and really emphasize is the nonlinearity of it. During that period when the recession hasn't shown up, it's not like we're going down in a straight line where we slow down and slow down. You can see where it you can extrapolate in a straight line to a recession. It's everything looks fine and then it doesn't look fine. It's just it happens all at once. And it's the perfect explanation of what happened in late 2007. So we were saying, how long does it take? Anywhere between 10 and 24 months. OK, let's take the longest example of an yield curve inversion which then had a late cycle steepening, which we also had this time, and we should talk about it because it's the last shoe to fall before right. actually recession unfolds. So the sequencing was perfectly respected in all cases, but in 2007, these lags were really long, Jeff. It took like 24 months between the ill curve inversion and the actual recession to kick in. Yeah, we have to remember that the curves inverted way back in 2006. That's Which true. is why, you know, 2007, I was like, where's this crisis? The markets are upset. It's not happening. It really reminds me of today. In October 2007, the Federal Reserve released their summary of economic projections. And they said, October 2007, this is two months before the biggest post-Second World War era recession actually unfolded. Two months before, in October 2007, they said, Real GDP growth is going to be about 2% positive <laughs> in 2008. And we see the housing market slow down, but we're really not worried. It's just an adjustment from the excesses of 2006, 2007. It's all fine. Why? Because we were 21 months in a yield curve inversion and no recession was there. So the recency bias led people to believe that this time was different. And so they said happened? all the same things too, right, Alf? Remember they said... The economies look at how much resilience it's showing. Look at how much strength it's showing in the face of this massive housing bubble that's blowing up the housing market. And the economy is just fine. It seems yes. like it's really resilient. So that kind of recency bias, you always have to be aware because right at the moment when it becomes more likely that the recession will occur because of the longer macro lags. So you are in that period, let's say between 16 and 24 months, macro lags from the yield curve inversion that actually make it more likely for a recession to kick in, yet people tend to be impatient. They've waited for a recession, it doesn't happen, they throw in the towel, this time is different, and the this time is different narrative can also lead to the curve steepening. So what we had recently, in summer especially, was bear steepening, and bear steepening is quite the dangerous trend when it tends to happen late in the cycle. You take a very inverted yield curve, so front-end interest rates are over 5%, but third-year yields were at four in summer. So the curve was very, very inverted. But then the market starts wondering, no, maybe this recession is not going to happen. You know, maybe the economy can take much higher interest rates. You know, this time is different. And so what they're going to do is they're going to push long and interest rates higher. The curve is going to bear steepen. So the steepening is coming mostly from the long end of the curve. And that's what we saw. Third-year interest rates move higher, temporarily so, to 
And I had my biggest clients telling me, wow, man, it's really different. You know, term premium should be positive here. <laughs> and, you know, there is so much uncertainty. The new normal for inflation is 4%, not 2%. You hear all these narratives. And inevitably, what happens is that that bear steepening pushes more pain through the system. Every leveraged entity that is exposed to higher interest rates gets a big negative whammy when long and interest rates move higher because the interest rate sensitivity of a 30-year bond and the impact that you feel when it moves against you is disproportionately large. And so the pain starts to accumulate late in the cycle where the economy really can't take it, but people are trying to overlay that view that this time is different. And so the, the late cycle steepening happens at the worst possible time, and it actually accelerates the recessionary dynamics and makes the macro legs really kick in. And now we're right at that point. This is month number 17 since the yield curve has been inverted in the first place. Right. You have had the perfect sequencing. Tightening, yield curve inversion, economy slows down, late cycle steepening. It's a script we have seen all the time since the 80s. Just look at this chart. What threw everything, what threw everyone off, I think, is the banking crisis from earlier in this year because that seemed to have accelerated the cycle. So the yield curve inverts last year, oil prices skyrocket. That all made sense. It all made perfect sense. And then, you know, 2022 kept unfolding. The economy around the, around the world got, got weaker. We started seeing some more disruptions in the financial system, more serious disruptions. It all made sense. And then it seemed like it came to a head March and April, and everybody went, okay, here it comes. This is going to be the big one. So it's understandable why in the middle of the year, everybody's holding their breath, hunkered down for the big one, and then it didn't happen. It was like, okay, it's not going to happen. It must be something else. And I think that's part of the nonlinear process too, is that there are always ebbs and flows. I, Alf, you probably remember this. Back in 2007, you know, I watched Eurodollar futures curve quite a lot. Eurodollar futures curve uninverted in June of 2000. I think it was June or July. I think it was June, June 2007. So it had been heavily inverted. And everybody's, you know, there was early stuff in 2007. Ben Bernanke said subprime is contained. The market started doing weird things. And everybody went, okay, here it comes. This is, this is going to be bad. And you get to the middle of 2007, it was like nothing happened. Curve started to uninvert again. Everybody got happy. As you're saying, the Federal Reserve said, this is no big deal. So that's part of the nonlinearity too, is that you get this back and forth. Sometimes they're really extreme moves. Went from everything's going to end eight months ago to holy crap, this is going to be a soft landing. And now we're right back in the same camp all over again. Yeah, I mean, uh, you can really see it in this distribution of probabilities that we talked about before. We entered the year preoccupied about the recession. The macro lags were still short there. I mean, the yield curve had been inverted for only eight months. So if you look at history, you were really, you know, on the short side of the lags. Yeah, it was and almost early, right? That was, was, that was almost like, early? hey, this is too early. Yeah, that was too early, right? And then, look, uh, soft landing was still the base case, but the recession was priced at 40% chance. I mean, a recession at 40% chance is, is quite some pricing. And then uh, in February and March, the economy actually proved to be resilient in line with the normal lags. You know, you were just too early. And then in March, you got this big move that pushed the recessionary percentage to 50% because of the banking crisis. Uh, and, you know, then the Federal Reserve could actually offset it through the BTFP and other facilities that they developed. It wasn't a credit problem. It was a liquidity problem. And they figured out some ways to basically contain that. Great. And then from that moment onwards, the market said, well, 
it's done. Soft landing is the only game in town. That was until the summer. And then all of a sudden, people realized, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> not only we are not getting a recession, this is so typical, like in late 07, not only we are not getting a recession, this time is different now. I mean, look at this. The curve has been inverted for over a year. Nothing is happening. And you get this big boom up in the true higher for longer feeling. You know, people feel that long end rates should be higher. Term premium should be positive. They always do the same. And then all of a sudden, the bond market says, Okay, we have tested the hypothesis, but inflation is actually collapsing. So um, yeah. forget about uh, this term. What uncertainty about future inflation are you talking about? We are going to 2% pretty quick here. I mean, I've made the case with the United Kingdom before, but if I would draw the same chart on the United States, 2% is next in line by about March to June next year. I mean, it is happening. And so the bond market starts to realize that the inflation part there is no premium to be attached to it. This time isn't different. We just printed a bunch of money and then we stopped printing a bunch of money. And then, wow, what a surprise. Inflation comes down non-linearly. And then there is the last part. People say, yeah, yeah, but inflation is coming down. It is good because then the Fed can ease and it's soft landing. And, and Such a guys, big mistake. And and you're like, you know, before we get to that last part, I want to... People who are watching ELF here should know that ELF has a course out on bond market principles that, well, you should, you should describe it, ELF, because I think it's a terrific, it's a terrific uh, opportunity for people to learn about what we're actually talking about here, not just cycles, but what are these indications and signals of what they mean. So go take it away, ELF. Thanks, Jeff. So guys, we have talked about the bond market quite a lot so far, and I know it can be scary for many people. It's full of jargon and technicalities, but... I want to stop that. I want to make the bond market understandable for people so that you can make the best out of understanding this super important market and also become more knowledgeable about your investments. So I, make, I made a bond market course which explains the bond market in plain English. It's available on my website. We're gonna put some links down if you're interested, but most importantly, the first 50 people that will go and use the discount code Jeff will get 20% off on the course. Only the, 50, the, the first 50 buyers, discount code Jeff, 20% off. Yeah, it's a tremendous offer. And it's, I think you, you could do a lot worse than learn about bond market principles from someone like Alf who's actually done it and actually been involved in the marketplace and understands it to a degree that you just don't see in the mainstream these days. So Thanks, absolutely, Jeff. I urge all the Eurodollar University members and viewers, take advantage of the offer here. It's a tremendous, it's a tremendous deal. But back to... Back to our story here, because this is it's now we're getting to the good part. And the good part is, OK, we we had the back and forth. We had okay, the bank crisis earlier in the year, got everybody scared. And then they got went to the absolute opposite, opposite end of the pendulum. And the pendulum swung back the other way. But now the markets really since the middle part of October have been accelerating rapidly in the opposite direction. Right. So, Jeff, what's happening, I think, is this change of tune and markets are very uh, emotional, I feel, you know, we, we saw that chart before the emotions just wing around at some point though, reality kicks in and the reality is that inflation is slowing down. That's the only angle that markets are truly appreciating so far. 
the inflation scare is over, we're going to go down. The next leg that we talked about is that people assume that magically U.S. GDP growth will stabilize around 1%. You know, it's going to be no recession whatsoever. And even if you look at the European... It'll be perfect. It'll be Goldilocks. Consumer prices will go right down to 2% exactly. The economy will slow down to maybe 1.5%. It'll be perfect. awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Interestingly, also for Europe, despite European real GDP ex-Ireland, which is full of accounting tricks, but European GDP is already at zero. If you look at the economy's forecast for next year, it says plus one. So not only we're not going to slow further, we're also going to pick up. And then I wonder, what drives the, uh, the growth macro lags in countries? Like how long does it take and how convex the reaction is? What are the countries that are the most vulnerable to tightening? And then you start thinking, well, let's think about how tightening drives a recession. You raise interest rates, the private sector goes and has to borrow at much higher interest rates, and because their pie of earnings, their pie of salaries haven't really gone up that much, they have a fixed amount of money that they need to allocate to different things. Spending, hiring, servicing debt. So when you raise interest rates and actually it gets reflected in borrowing costs for the private sector, that's when an economy can't handle it. And now let's talk about Europe. Europe is a, is, is a, is a continent which is riddled with problems. Productivity issues, demographics is horrible, we know all the thing about Europe. Nevertheless, the European Central Banks thought it was a smart idea to basically mimic the Federal Reserve hiking cycle. Okay? So they said, you guys did 500, we are going to do 450 basis points on the way up, right? We can handle it, we're good. And they did, so they tightened. Now, not only the fragilities, the inherent situation of Europe is worse than the one of the US or other jurisdictions, not only that, but in this cycle, Jeff, I'm going to argue that three things make Europe particularly vulnerable to a drawdown in economic growth, which is really going to look like a serious recession. Three things. Number one, European corporates in 2016 to 2017 could borrow and did borrow at 1.5% for seven years fixed only in interest rates. 1.5%. That's a very low borrowing rate. It makes any business model sustainable. Anything we can do borrowing money at 1%, Jeff, it makes anything sustainable. Problem is that 2016 plus 7 or 2017 plus 7 makes right about now. So I said, let me have a look at this thing called refinancing cliffs. Because countries with the highest levels of refinancing cliffs are the ones that are the most vulnerable to a real economic drawdown when interest rates move up. And so I said, let me look at 2024 and let me look at the percentage of corporate loans and bonds that do mature in 2024. Yeah, there's one of them that sticks right out there. <laughs> uh, that looks pretty scary to me, to be yeah. honest. So what I did here is I threw a red line at the average percentage of maturity unit refinance. Because, you know, if you're a corporate or you're a household, you'll have some debt rolled over every year. And it's just a natural refinancing process. But when your refinancing wall is materially higher than the normal, you should get worried. Can you have a look at Europe over here? By the way, have a look at all jurisdictions, huh? All of them will face higher refinancing walls next year and in 2025. All of them. But Europe in 2024, guys, it looks particularly bad.
For the United States, you'll have to wait a little bit longer, which means the which also explains why the macro lags this time are being a little bit longer, right? Yeah. People have locked in low interest rates for longer. It takes a little bit longer for the macro lags to kick in. They will. But in Europe, it doesn't take long at all. It is coming in the first half of next year. Reason number one. I always love visiting with Macro Elf because not only is he a smart guy and a keen observer of all of the stuff that I find important, he has the perspective of an insider, someone who actually did this stuff for a living. A bond trader, not just a bond trader, but a bond trader for a large bank portfolio. And so that drives many of his perceptions, much of his analysis, along with the mathematics that he comes up with. And it led to a very good conversation, a very good rest of the conversation, where we went into, we went further into, are bank reserves actually money? Do they find their way in the stock market? What are the risks of the stock market, given all of the stuff we're, fun, we're talking about here? What is the timetable for all of these things working out? Well, that's the rest of the conversation of between myself and Elf, which you can get available for Eurodollar University members and subscribers. If you are not a Eurodollar University member and subscriber, I recommend that you become one. Memberships are available. We talk about the background details of the Eurodollar system, as well as the fundamental principles behind all of these indications, the, these signs and warnings that we talk about on the channel. Subscriptions. Eurodollar University has, of course, the daily briefing where we talk about the day's biggest macroeconomic and market news and something called the deep dive analysis, where we go deeper, far deeper than we ever do on YouTube into these what's happening today from the perspective of the Eurodollar system, all that history and background that we can make sense of today to try to figure out and navigate what might happen tomorrow. So Eurodollar University members and subscribers, you get the rest of this conversation with Macro Elf, as well as a huge amount of other material and benefits as well. So check out, if you're not one already, check out becoming a Eurodollar University member and subscriber.